Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is from Ruth chapter 2. Again, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, your devices, or you can follow along on the screen behind me as I read all of Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, 
Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law, the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of your, our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Miserable. Miserable. According to the global analytic firm Gallup, that is how one out of every six or 17% of workers in America would describe their work experience. Miserable. Furthermore, they would go on to say that they actually feel resentment towards their place of work and even the people who they work with. And additionally, 17%, one out of every six people say that they take out their unhappiness when they're at work. Miserable, one out of every six. Purposeless, pointless. It's not just the 17%, there's another 52%, one out of every two people who would describe their work like that. It doesn't have a purpose. They admit that they show up to work and they do every day just the bare minimum. Why? Because what's the point? Do you know what that amounts up to? That amounts to three out of every four, close. 70% of everybody who is not enjoying their work. And I could go on with the stats. I could tell you about how 81% of workers in North America, when pressed, would admit that they're actually looking for another job. I could go on and tell you about how $500 billion is what it's costing businesses and our economy because people are so disengaged at work, but I won't. Instead, let's just stop. And for a minute, let's, let's ask why. Let's ask it why it is there's a problem with work. If you read the reports or you do your online Googling, I'm sure you can find any number of reasons. The report talks about how it's bad bosses and bad managers who they themselves are unenthused about their work 
that cause a less enthused work environment for others. For some, it's the commute. For others, it's the compensation, the overworked hours, and the lack of pay. For others, it's today the stress of working at home and all that goes with that. But if you read the reports and you look at all the reasons why it is that there's a problem with work, there's one cause. There's one cause for the purposelessness at work that you won't read about, and it's sin. Christians, you know. You know that sin affects every aspect of life, and therefore, it only makes sense that something we do for the majority of our adult lives, something close to 96,000 hours, would also be affected by sin. It's sin that causes the laziness. It's the sin that causes the unhealthy competitiveness, the gossiping, the frustration, the tension. That's really what causes the purposelessness at work. We know it's sin. And yet, because we know it's sin that causes the problem of purposelessness at work, we also know there's one who redeems work. There's one who redeems purposelessness because there is one who has redeemed us from sin. It's why I'm glad we're in Ruth chapter 2. It's because Ruth chapter 2 might be the most Monday morning chapter of the Bible that there is. There might not be any other chapter that is more a just get after it, set your alarm and get to it kind of chapter in the entire Bible. Did you listen to what I read? I mean, a summary of what went on in Ruth chapter 2 might be this. A woman woke up, went to work, met her boss at work, had lunch with a bunch of people, including the owner of the company at work, had a fruitful day at work, came home, had dinner with her family, her mother-in-law, went to bed, and presumably did it again. That's Ruth chapter 2. You work, I work, Ruth works. And yet you got to catch this. While Ruth works and has a job, there's some things that we have that Ruth didn't have. Ruth didn't have the protection, the, the safe work environment that so many of us enjoy and that is protected for us. Ruth suffered the potential of abuse. We'll get into that, and, and we'll say more about that. But you also see that Ruth also didn't even have a say about her work. She had to ask for permission to even go and work. All of us have at least some little, even if it's a little amount of say, in what goes on in our work day today. But Ruth didn't. And so I can't stress this enough. If there's ever someone who is going to say that her work environment was miserable, if there is ever someone who is going to be bitter, if there's ever someone who is going to harbor resentment about where she worked and the people that she worked for, if there's anyone who is ever going to take out their unhappiness at work, it's Ruth. But did you see how Ruth went to work? You got to catch this. Ruth chapter 2 begins with this. It tells us all about Ruth the Moabite, which should tell you something. 
By this point in the story, it's somewhat redundant to say Ruth the Moabite. We know she's from Moab, but the narrator seems to make a point this. Ruth the Moabite from Moab. What he's doing is he's telling something about this foreign woman's place at work. She's letting us know that there is a danger. There's a danger of harm that would be done to this foreign woman from Moab when she went into the place of work. I suppose I have to explain that just a little bit. You got to know the backstory about the origins, if you will, of Moabite people. Every good little Israelite boy and girl knew about it, and sadly, they treated Moabites accordingly. You got to go back to Genesis chapter 19. There's where you read the story of the origins of the people of Moab and summarize it for this sermon just to say this. It's a disgusting, disgusting story, one that Sunday school teachers scrip and scrub and don't touch on because it deals with graphic incest. That's where Moabites came from. And therefore, when you know about a Moabite woman working in a field in Israel, She's opening up herself to abuse, to potential harm. Boaz even recognized it. And yet she went to work. The Moabite person asking for permission, even permission from her mother-in-law to go to work, let me work. And what was the work that she was doing? It wasn't grand, it wasn't glorious. The work that she was doing when she went was gleaning. So she went out entered a field, and began to glean. What is gleaning? Well, gleaning is actually something that came about because God put in place a law, a law to help out people who were poor, people who were disenfranchised, people who were foreigners, people who were like Ruth. The law was that when harvest time came about and the harvesters went out to the field and the people picked the grain, they had to leave behind whatever fell to the ground. And it was a rule. It was a law in Israel that foreigners, women, people who didn't have land of their own were allowed to come behind and pick up whatever was left over. That's the situation that you find yourself in in Ruth's shoes, in Ruth chapter 2. And I don't think we can stress just, just the menialness of this work. I know some of you have worked jobs that are hard. Some of you have worked jobs that are rather dirty. And yet, I don't think any of us can relate to the work that Ruth is doing. I heard a pastor compare what Ruth was doing to what can pickers do today. They go behind rummaging through other people's garbage, looking through other people's leftovers, walking the streets, picking up what just happens to fall there all for a very little and a very low return. That's what Ruth is doing. And yet look at how she goes about it. Ruth worked hard. She got up and she got after it. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. Ruth worked all day from morning to dusk. And when you look at how hard she worked and what she got, she got an ephah. That's 45 pounds of grain from this really difficult work that she was doing. And she did it, how? With humility. 
She did it with all grace and all pleasantness as she interacts with those who are around her, as she talked to her bosses. And you see this, you see, she doesn't troop around saying, it's just picking up grain. She doesn't go about it saying, there's so much more that I could be doing, but I'm not. No, Ruth just does it. Ruth just does it and she's blessed. She's blessed because of that. Again, Ruth hoists up onto her back about an ephah of barley. That's 45 pounds of barley that she hoists up on her back and carries home to her mother-in-law. But this is my favorite part. (laughs) She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. And you see it. (laughs) You see it here. This is what really gets me. Ruth did this. Ruth also brought out and gave Naomi what she had left over after she had eaten enough. She brought her lunch home. She brought home what she had worked for and what she had gotten from the fruit of her labor to work, and she gave it to her mother-in-law, Naomi. You see the passion. Now you, you see the purpose. The purpose was someone. The purpose that Ruth went about. You see where her heart was. It was at home. It was with Naomi. Sometimes it takes that. It takes someone like Ruth to show us really just how much we're missing out on on life, especially when it, it comes to work. I mentioned it before, 96,000 hours That's what the statisticians tell us is the average adult working life. 96,000 hours we will spend at work. When you take out sleeping, it comes out to like a third of your adult life. When you put in sleeping, it's like half of what you do. You work. And yet how much of it do we miss? How much of our working lives do we miss? Because we go about it with no purpose. We go about it with no sense of purpose, with no aim. Maybe you have that friend, you ask them how they're doing, and they say, "Ah, another day closer to Friday. You have that friend, you email them, and they say, hey, happy hump day, Only, only, only two more days to the weekend. But maybe you're that friend. Maybe you're that person who is just working for Friday, another day, another dollar. You're going about your work in that way because we all do. We wonder, am I making a difference? Am I really impacting real people with the work that I do? You look at the way those around you work and you wonder if this meeting is even worth it, if putting up with this boss or this direct report or that person and all the tension that goes with this is really something that even amounts to a hill of beans. Why do this? And the worst part is we we think we're alone in this. We think that this is a problem that's just unique to us, but it's something that we all suffer. It's something that we all go through, whether you're working in an office or a field, whether you're working in people, with people, or working in a vehicle. This is something that happens to all of us, whether you're a retiree or you're someone who stays at home. We all wonder, what's my purpose with this work? Because there's sin. There's sin, and what it does is it takes our hearts out of work. It shouldn't surprise us. 
Go back to Genesis. The very beginning, it talks about how it would be like this. God said when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that work would be hard. Work would be difficult. Work would be something that would try to rob us of our joy. It'd try to take away our purpose. And oftentimes, that's what work does. We put in so much, so much effort, so much time to work, and we don't get back what we expect. Work takes from us. In fact, it takes even more. It takes sometimes, for some of us, our identities, and it leaves us. At times, it leaves many of us feeling useless, if not frustrated, if not depressed. And that's why Ruth chapter 2 is more than just a Monday morning sermon. It's because it takes someone like Ruth It takes someone like Ruth to show us just how much we're missing in life. It takes someone like Ruth to show us that sin, what it does, it steals our hearts from work. But we need someone. We need someone to give us back life. We need someone to give us back that which is taken away. We need the greater Ruth. We need someone who is the Ruth to come. The even greater Ruth, who came to Bethlehem, yes, who came from a foreign place, yes, but not Moab. We need the greater Ruth, who came to work a job, to work a job that nobody else wanted to work, work a job that nobody else could. We need a greater Ruth, a greater Ruth who didn't work under the hot Bethlehem sun, but worked under the wrathful eyes of our God. We need the greater Ruth, We need someone who took on the very form of a servant and did it himself. You want to talk about potential abuses? No. They took on profound agony and gave up all their rights. Gave up all their rights, though they had some at home in their one home. They gave them up. For the joy set before them, they took on a job, a job that no one else could do, and they did it. Why? They did it for what? Not grain, but a different gain. They worked in harvest fields, but not the harvest fields of grain, the harvest fields of God. They worked in the harvest fields, but not for things. They worked for someone. This greater Ruth worked for someone. They worked for the metaphorical Moabites who have no rights, the outsiders, the outcasts, the sinners. They worked for you and me. You know the greater Ruth that I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who put more than an ephah on his back, but put a cross on his back when he went to a hill called Calvary. He took on his back more than just a cross. He put on the weight of the world's sin, and he did it. Why? So that he could have a prize, so that he could have a prize for which he died, which is you, so that he could have a harvest, a harvest not of grain, but of people, a harvest that he died for a harvest that he bled for, a harvest that did give him something, but he gave it all away to you. Look, what did he work for? It wasn't himself, but it was for you, and it was to give to you, not grain, not food, but bread that will last into eternity. His body shed for you. He poured into a cup his love, the love that made a new covenant to you, that filled up your cup, filled it up with love. So he set before you a banquet, an eternal banquet that will not run out, an eternal banquet of his grace till it leads us to pull a Naomi and ask, Lord, where did you work? Where did you come up with this? 
for us. Lord, why do you look with us with such favor? Why is it that we should find such favor in your eyes? And now you begin to see it. You begin to see what happens in Ruth chapter 2 is more than just a woman going to work. It's our Lord's redemption story. It's him redeeming us back from sin, death, and the devil, yes, but redeeming much more. Yes, life in eternity, the greatest thing that he can redeem and gift to us. He redeems our life here too. He redeems our life and redeems us from purposelessness. Everything that got picked and let go because of sin, he picks up and he restores to your heart. You see it in this story. You see it in the way that Boaz talks to his harvesters. You see what happens when people remember, yes, even at work, they remember their Lord and they remember him with the words that they speak. Boaz said, when he arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. What you have here in Ruth is a story about people, yes, but a story about God, God's faithfulness to people and how God smiles, how God delights to see people who know him, remember him, remember him, yes, go to work. You see it here. You see it here with the way that Boaz and Ruth interact, even even just in a moment in Ruth chapter 2. Boaz recognizes that Ruth did something remarkable. Ruth did something truly selfless when she came from Moab to be there selflessly with her mother-in-law. And yet he recognizes who was blessing Ruth in all of that. It wasn't Ruth who was making and profiting from the decision that she made, but it was the Lord's hand behind all of that. Listen, Boaz says, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He knew it. He knew it that this wasn't just a redemption story of Naomi and Naomi's hopes. This was the redemption story of something much bigger. Because that's what God does. God has redeemed our life for eternal life. And in so doing, he's redeemed a purposeless way of life for us. You see it when when Boaz talks to his harvesters. You see it when Ruth and Boaz speak. And you see it, perhaps most of all, with one of the most unlikely characters. Someone we've perhaps thrown under the bus so far in our series on Ruth. You see it in Naomi. You see it in Naomi's shocked question. She asked Ruth, where did you go to glean today? Where did you work? You know why she asked that? You know why Ruth was asked that by her mother-in-law? It was far more than Naomi was just hungry and she wanted to know which store she went to to get the grain. She's putting hope back into Naomi. Naomi is hoping in and through Ruth, and through the work that she does. And don't miss, don't miss just how divine this is, because even Naomi recognizes that. Even Naomi recognizes the Lord's hidden hand in all of this. Naomi listens as Ruth tells her where she went. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. 
The Lord bless him. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. You got to see this. Even Naomi saw this. The Lord's hidden hand redeeming us for eternal life and infusing our life here and now with purpose. That's what Ruth chapter 2 does. It opens up your eyes. It opens up your eyes to see that God's hidden hand, he's working through all of things for his good purpose, which he's making your good purpose as well. He wants us to ask, where did you glean today? He wants us to look past all the frustration, all the depression, all the tension, all of the Monday morning feelings that we have and see that what he's doing, he's working through you. He's working in you to give hope to real people in your life. He's working through mothers and fathers. He's working through people who work in healthcare to care for people. He's working through people in construction to give homes. He's working through people who work in the government and work for our military to give us the protections and the freedoms that some people can only dream about. He's working for those who work in government, for government, or contract with government in order to provide the way of life that so many Americans enjoy. He's working in teachers to teach people about the wonders of God's world. He's working in factory workers to provide parts for our cars so we can go see our loved ones, so we ourselves can go to work. He's working in people who put together the parts for our air conditioning units so that we can deal with the heat that we have here in Virginia. God is working in people to give hope. He's working through people you know and through people you will never know in order to give them hope, in order to give you a purpose. That's the purpose for your life. We call it vocation. We give it this, this doctrinal teaching. We call it vocation. But what we're talking about is your calling in life. One of our values here at The Way Church deal with that. We talk about how we are called to love others. And in so doing, we're called because we're equipped. We're empowered by Christ Jesus to do good works, to serve our neighbors to serve those. And so what we want to do as a church is not call you out of your life, but put you back into your life to give hope, to give service to those around you. But it's more than just something that we value at this church. It's something that God values. It's a value that he holds near and dear to his heart. Nowhere in his word does he talk about calling you out of your life to put you in some monastery or some nunnery and there's, there's, that's the best way how you can serve him. No, what he does throughout his word, he calls you to see your purpose, your calling, your vocation in whatever area of life you live in and serve in. That's what God's doing here. It might seem ordinary. It might even tempt some of you to go so far and say, Christ is boring. God is boring, but this is how he works. Think about it. It, it. It's through ordinary things. It's through the ordinary waters of baptism that he makes you anew, 
that he gives you life. He gives you a name that is his daughter, his son. It's through ordinary bread and wine that he gives you forgiveness and strengthens your faith in him. It's through ordinary people, it's through ordinary pastors that you speak powerful words of forgiveness to one another. That's how God works. He works through ordinary things, redeeming your life for eternity, but then giving purpose to your life here as well. Redeeming your Monday mornings, redeeming your work, putting power in your work, putting purpose in your work, because he's putting Christ in you, working through you, and therefore it's Christ giving you purpose. It doesn't mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean that he's going to take the hard out of work but it does mean he's going to put your heart back into work. And that's what Ruth chapter 2 is for. The most Monday morning sermon, the most set your alarm, get after it sermon that there is. A sermon that's just about the ordinary, preached on an ordinary Sunday by an ordinary pastor to ordinary people. So you can see how extraordinary our God is. Extraordinary grace given to just ordinary people through ordinary means. Also that you can see it. You can see the real hero. You can see the real hero in Ruth chapter 2 is a woman who just gets up and goes after it and goes to work. You maybe see it at the post office or when you go to the grocery store. People have signs up that say, heroes work here. We know it's because of the coronavirus time that we're living in, but I don't think we understand just how strong a theological point people are making with those signs. Heroes do work there. Heroes work here. In here, there are heroes who go and they provide for their kids, who put food on their table, who act as God caring and providing for them so that even in the little moments of life, moms and dads can look, they can watch their kids eat a bowl of cereal or eat spaghetti and know that God's using them for a purpose to provide for others, to give hope to others. You want proof? Just look at the book of Ruth. Because here... On an ordinary day, an ordinary woman gets up and goes to work. And she meets Boaz. <laughs> and here in Ruth 2, we get a hint. So I'll give you just a sneak peek at what's coming. That God is working out through this encounter an extraordinary event. An event of cosmic significance. The event of your salvation. That's the far-reaching nature of the grace of our God. <laughs> It covers even our ordinary days, even the 96,000 days, 96,000 hours of work that we put in. May God bless you in those hours. Amen.